Dear listeners and viewers, hello and welcome wherever you are to this new episode of your program, Spectra, on Canadian Spectrum Media, CSM. When someone takes the decision to immigrate, to look for a better life, or when someone takes the decision to resort to another place as a refugee, to escape all kinds of persecution that they might be subject to, it's not an easy decision for both of them. Because you're not only substituting a land for a land, but also, which is much more important, you're substituting a culture for a culture, a language for a language, traditions for traditions, customs for customs, and you're leaving behind all the ones who loved you and you love them. Your family, your friends, your childhood memories, and also your professional background. You might have worked in a specific place and reached a very high and prominent position, but you have to leave all this behind. Of course, such a big shift would definitely affect everyone's feelings and definitely will lead to some kind of psychological disorders and, and some mental problems. So what are these disorders and what are these mental problems that might face immigrants and refugees? And what are the symptoms? And is there a way out? To answer these questions and much more, I'm really delighted to be accompanied by Odis Nasr, who is a clinical hypnotist, and she is also a timeline therapist. Odis, thank you very much for joining us, and welcome to the program. Thank you. So, uh, to start off, Odis, like, can you shed some light on the most important um, just briefly at the beginning, the most important kinds of mental disorders or psychological problems that immigrants or refugees might suffer from. Depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Depression is the most biggest mental health issue that we have right now in Canada from new immigrants, whether they are refugees or just new landed immigrants, everybody goes through depression. Um, how they deal with it is different. And the second one on the list is anxiety, which is the fear of the unknown. And then the worst one, and it's the least uh, kind of targeted or treated is the PTSD, which is the post traumatic uh, disorder, which is very, very severe for them. It's about 20% of uh, cases that we have that um, most of the refugees suffer from, but they're not aware of it. They don't know that they have it. And that's another issue that Canada is facing right now. So from the list you gave, like they seem like really severe ones. So it's trauma, it's depression. And, you know, there's also post-trauma, you know, stress and these are things that can definitely affect all refugees and immigrants. But let's start with immigrants first. 
Immigrants have a different situation than refugees because as an immigrant, I choose to come here. I'm dreaming of a better life. I might have had a good life in the place where I was living, but I'm looking for a better life, better um, you know, society, better political atmosphere, uh, maybe more money. So uh, what kind of psychological problems are typical to immigrants or like skilled workers in specific? The immigrants actually start the psychological trauma before they even immigrate. I call that the pre-immigration process because you're still getting yourself ready to come to Canada. And you tapped on a lot of good points, which is leaving the extended family behind, leaving sometimes like nuclear family, their, their actual spouses or children because the father or the parent has to come in here first to set up time. The anxiety is very severe before they arrive because they don't know, no matter how much research you do, they still don't know what Canada is like. Um, they may have families here, they will um, probably give them information. It's not the same when they're here. The shock is still there, no matter how much you prepare, no matter how much you have gone through and talked to different people who came to Canada. I've known a lot of families. I went through it myself when I came here with my family. They were so prepared, but I've seen my parents, I've seen families. When we meet them at the airport, I'm part of the um, organization that meets immigrants sometimes, and I translate for them, and they're scared. It's unknown. It's, it's an instinct that we all have. You cannot take it out of our DNA. It's the fear of unknown. It may have been less severe with people who are prepared, who have done their homework, but still, you don't know what it's going to be like. You have no idea what it's like to be here because you're lost. It's such a scary thing to, to experience, honestly, to go somewhere, no matter how much you planned, you don't know. It's not guaranteed that you're going to be successful. So you said that, um, you know, even if they did their due diligence, their homework, they did like they really delved so much into the details and tried to find as much as possible details about uh, the new country they're immigrating to. Uh, here, Canada is our like, um, you know, um, target, but like it, I think it might be the same for all immigrants immigrating to any other country around the world. Um, before again, we go more into more details about each and every one of these disorders. Mm -hmm. um, how much does the social, economic, educational background of the immigrant play a role in the severity of each one of these disorders or in the likelihood of them being affected by any of them in the first place? Good question. What I will share with you is what I have seen personally because I treat a lot of those clients, the culture shock. The culture is such a deep embedded attitude and beliefs in the subconscious, uh, in, their, in their behavior. So just an instance, you come in from the Eastern culture, which is very, um, the norms there is like collective. Everybody works together, they live together. You have the support of the family, the society, the village. It's just you're born in, there, in that society. Then you come in here and everything is individualism. Canada is more like, you know, take care of yourself, look after yourself. This is the normal way. You look after just your immediate family. It's completely normal. And that's where the shift happens. That's where the shock comes in. So you're saying that, that the big problem here is moving from uh, like what we call a sociocentric society, 
So like the society is the most important thing, the group is the most important thing. Me as an individual, I can happily sacrifice for the group and then we move to an egocentric society which where like the ego, the individual is the most important. Every individual counts. Exactly, and what happens is when they arrive, it's natural um, primal instinct that we wanna be with people like us. And you probably experienced that when you arrived here and I experienced that. You will go to the place where people like you are living there. So most immigrants will end up in the same tall buildings, highly condensed, highly populated, sometimes in a very low income family uh, housing or maybe kind of poor places in the, the GTA area. And that adds another psychological problem there because you're kind of living in a, in a situation, you are in the same cycle, you're not able to get yourself out of it. The poverty cycle stays in and that then triggers depression, then triggers other stuff. The, the normal part of us that uh, we want to be with people like us and that's um, I think another key player in why it's harder for them to move in here and get accustomed to the Canadian culture. Okay, maybe, okay, maybe, maybe to further clarify that, can we divide that into like, um, you know, someone who's well off economically and someone who's struggling, like this versus that? Uh, like what is the likelihood of them being affected? What kind of stresses they might face? Again, someone who's very highly educated and someone who had just basic education. Someone who grew up in a very liberal family and someone who grew in a very classic and conservative family. Can you make comparisons between these different, you know, extremes? Well, that's a good question. The, the well-off individuals or families, when they arrive, they still somehow find a way to be within the same group. They may live in the area that most locals live in, but they will try to find local stores, local places, local businesses that will accept them because the language barrier, maybe they don't speak English. I'm not sure, but probably they do, but they lack the Canadian experience. Mm -hmm. I've seen doctors, physicians. I have, I'm also a college professor and I have students in my class who are all immigrants. I have genetics. I have um, the amount of skills these guys have. It's unbelievable. They can be actually teaching me in college, not me teaching them. But there's a challenge. They cannot find Canadian jobs because they don't have Canadian experience. And that's another door that shuts in front of them. So they have to start from the beginning, either go back to school or find um, you know, uh, an entry position somewhere. So what they do is because they cannot find the job that suits them, they will have to find some comfort in their community. So no matter what, I, that's what I've seen. I could be wrong, but what I have seen is that they end up going back to their roots to find comfort, somebody will give them a job or referrals or giving them some kind of hope that they can start somewhere. That's for, that could be one possibility. The other possibility, it could be that they're so highly educated that they will end up kind of blocking themselves from getting the proper job because we do know that some education and some skills outside of Canada are way better compared to the Canadian system. So they come in here and they will be like, uh, well, the Canadian system is just kind of backward a little bit. Their education system is lower than our system. And they have something we call Kruger effect or the Dunning-Kruger effect. What this means is they become so biased, they think they know it all. And what happens is they refuse to take any entry job. They refuse to accept anything that will give them the door or the right step to move into the Canadian society and, and be part of the Canadian society. So they end up 
blocking themselves, not because they don't want to, but because of ignorance. And that's very dangerous because they have to. We all started like this. We, everybody, even locals here, if they started here, you still need to start from an entry job. But they come in with a frame of mind that, no, I am a doctor. I'm going to come here. I'm going to start working as a doctor. Unfortunately, Canada doesn't have that because you don't have the Canadian experience. So that kind of blocks them. They end up in depression. And then you've got the skilled workers who come in and again they probably will end up in a community where it gives them the support but again they will kind of alienate themselves from the canadian culture because they find the comfort in their social circle and that's so, so you're saying here that if i have like uh if i'm like a high caliber like if i'm someone with uh, high education and um like you know uh, maybe well off financially and i have a lot of experience this might be a double-edged sword. So it does not necessarily serve me to have an easier life. No, it might cause more stress. Because like you, you talked about the Kruger effect, I might overestimate myself and say, you know, like I know it all, I did it all. Like uh, why should I uh, care about uh, these like um, regulations and these, you know, certificates that I must take. I already know it all. I already have it all. I don't need to take anything here. So uh, I'm overqualified and they have their inflated, overinflated ego. Again, if I'm very highly educated, but I do not find a job that suits my education, this might lead to depression again. So, uh, but, so how about people who come from a liberal family background versus people who come from a classic or conservative background? What is the difference between them in terms of psychological problems or mental problems in Canada? those families I have seen that coming from a liberal background, they actually can jump in with the Canadian culture okay, because they can identify with the culture, they want to be part of Canadian culture, but what happens sometimes, what I've seen, something called um, self-hate. They become so Canadian that they don't want to keep their cultural identity. They ended up kind of hating themselves, hating the culture. So they ended up kind of brainwashing themselves that their culture is so bad because they're so liberal and they alienated themselves from the society that they came from and they grew in and they became extremely Canadian. And what happens is, again, they don't fit in their own culture because you're still, you cannot get your roots out. I have to be honest, like no matter what, I'm Arabic. If I come here, yeah, I could be Canadian. I've been here 30 years, but I'm still Arabic. I miss my Arabic language. I miss my Arabic music. I miss my Arabic food. I can't be 100% Canadian. So if they just kind of detach, they will end up again in depression. So no, it depends on, you have to have balance. It's not an easy transition to come into Canada because you may end up going so many ways. And if you don't have the proper, I don't know how to say it, the proper roots and how to assess where you are, it's so easy to go into depression. And when I'm talking depression, there's two ways to depression. You may be clinically depressed or you may be just going through a depressive period. There's a difference. Depressive period is just temporarily just having a bad moment, bad month, bad year. We all have it. Clinical depression, it's very severe. That's, that needs to be taken care of. And I'm talking about clinical depression. That's really where most immigrants suffer from, whether you're highly educated, 
refugee, planned everything. It's a shock. We're not used to it yet. We don't know. We just sit back home. We watch videos. We talk to people who live in Canada. We see it on TV. We talk to the consultants. We talk to the, the embassies. It's not the same when you're here. It's completely different. And I've seen it. And I have to just, sorry, to give you one more example. Like I went from Canada when I arrived here, I went to school, I stayed here for about five years and I went to the US to do my master's and I studied there and I was there for six years. I even noticed the cultural difference between Canada and America. And it's right across the border. When I went there, I went right away and I found the Arabic friends in college. We started going to Arabic bars, Arabic restaurants because I needed to belong to my culture, even though I've been here in Canada and that's just across the border. You can't get that out of your mind. You can't get that out of your heart. It's your soul. That's where your soul meets. It's a human. So, so you're basically saying it's unlike the misconception that some people think it's only the people who are like, um, you know, less um, well prepared in the ter in terms of the economic, you know, like or their savings. People with lesser savings, uh, people with lesser education, people who come from classic. Uh, you know, conservative backgrounds, they are the ones who suffer. But you're saying on the contrary. Even those with who come from very liberal backgrounds, people who are very well off financially, people with a lot of um, high education, people and so on and so forth, uh, people that we might think will have lesser problems are also subject to having the same problems of, uh, as other people. Now, uh, when you say that people resort to like their uh, ethnic silo, their ethnic ghetto, their ethnic bubble, and um, because they feel that uh, like outside of this bubble is a diaspora, <laughs> they're just lost completely. So, um, in order for you to fit in this group, in this small, um, you know, like micro group, in this macro multicultural environment, is there a price for this? Is there a psychological and mental price for this to fit in, to blend in this small group within a very multicultural society? Is there a price for that? Is there a sacrifice that you must make? The biggest sacrifice I have seen that my clients shared with me is that lack of privacy. It seems like wherever you are in the same culture, you are kind of bound to be under the same customs and values and everything that you do back home. You're still there. Yes, it gives you comfort, but then it kind of backfires on them. Like, wait a minute, I left this because I don't want this. I came to Canada because I want to change my view. Okay, you want to change your view, but you're still living in a building that has the same cultural families, the same customs, the same values. It is a good thing to have, but also it's a... Um, and it, it, it embeds you from coming into Canadian culture. It, embeds, it stops you from becoming Canadian. It's nice to look at both cultures and make your own identity. You can't just come in and become so ethically identified with yourself that you started to notice different, you don't want to open up to other things. That's why Canada is great. I love Canada because the Canadian government really allows multiculturalism. It does, it does huge. It, it, Anything I want, I have. I have the right, I have the freedom to dance Arabic, speak Arabic on the street. I'm not going to feel prosecuted. There's no discrimination. There's no prejudice. There's none. When I lived in the U.S., you're American, period. 
you're American. Forget all your roots, forget everything. They want you to be American. They don't want you to be having this kind of ethnicity with you. They try to do that. Here, Canada says, no, 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 you know, go for it. So in, in the U.S., for instance, it's a melting pot. You have to melt completely and just give up everything to be part of this mixture. You have to be part of this, like, um, cocktail or mocktail, if you wish. But um, in Canada, you're saying it's more like a salad bowl. So you mix, um, you know, like different ingredients together, but the ingredients are still independent. So, yeah, the pieces of tomato are separate from the pieces of lettuce, separate from the pieces of onions and so on and so forth, but they're together in one, um, you know, big bowl. And that's what makes Canada. That one makes Canada, absolutely. But here comes um, another question. Do you think that people from specific cultural backgrounds would suffer more than others? Like, for instance, let's compare somebody coming from the Far East or the Middle East versus someone coming from Eastern Europe. Do you think that they will equally suffer? Uh, good question. The answer is no. Everybody suffers differently because it, they, suffering is made by you. It's not by what's going outside of you. This is what I know. So if uh, somebody made a comment because I'm not Canadian, I'm Arabic, how I respond to it is what causes me to suffer. I can ignore it. I can take it personally. So it doesn't matter where you're from. It's what matters is how you perceive it and you create your own suffering. So you have to learn when a client is talking to me in my clinic, I have to know why it bothers them. Why? So I see people from different backgrounds. It, the same issues are also with the locals. I'm not going to say they're, everybody's an immigrant here. We're not indigenous. So everybody's immigrant. So human, uh, humans are made up of different, uh, you know, different beliefs and different values. And that's what causes the suffering. That's what causes the fear. That's what causes anxiety. That's what causes depression. So there's not really one ethnic. I think it's mostly maybe what the hype on media, what they say, okay, this is, you know, a couple of years ago was like women's movement. Now it's the discrimination and you never know what's going to happen there. And, you know, it's all media making up the reality of the suffering. But I haven't had anybody in my clinic coming in because they feel discriminated against. Never uh, heard this kind of thing. So, like, you know, classically there was, um, you know, um, a description of different phases of immigration that was coined actually several years uh, before. And it talks about um, maybe five different phases of immigration. And uh, I would like to, to know, like, how much do you agree or disagree with that? It talks about, like, first of all, there is a honeymoon phase where we all come as, you know, as tourists and we have this euphoria in us to do things and watch new places, taste new kinds of food, see new buildings and so on. But then, unfortunately, honeymoon doesn't last for very long. And uh, then comes you know, the, um, you know, rejection phase where you start, re you know, rejecting everything that's different, rejecting everything that's new. Then follows the regression phase. You start, instead of progressing, you regress and you regret coming to Canada or to the new country. Say, 
why did I leave my country? Why did I leave things? And in this stage, you start imagining that your country of origin is just a, a utopia. It's heaven and earth. And you start forgetting everything negative about your country of origin and remember only the beautiful things. While in your new adoptive country, the country you immigrated to, you only see the negative things and you only uh, and you ignore the good things. Following that is what is called at ease at last phase. When you finally blend in, if you succeed, of course, to pass through the regression and rejection phase. Because if you don't, you might leave. Yeah. Uh, but if you pass through these, you come to the at ease at last phase, where you feel comfortable, you feel that you belong. Last but not least is what is called the counterculture shock, is that you become so much immersed into your new culture that if you go for a summer vacation, for example, in your country of origin, you'd feel like a stranger. You would want to go back. So to, to what extent do you agree with this analysis? Do you think that this is sort of correct from your like experience as a professional and as a human as well? Well, that's actually, I've never heard of this and I love it because I know, you know, we, I'm one of a group that sponsored the family that came in from Syria. And while you're talking, I'm like, yeah, they, they did go through this. They did go through this. I didn't know about this, honestly. But so they came in, we, you know, they were a little bit shocked in the beginning and they were so happy because they were refugees. They, they ran away from their home and the war and everything. And they were so relieved to be in Canada and they loved it. Oh, Canada's great. Canada is nice. Then the winter came in. Then, <laughs> of course, that was a, another kind of shock for them. But then later on when life started, they never visited. They didn't have the honeymoon phase. The honeymoon phase was the first two weeks. Then they moved in, we settled them then, and we started to give them, you know, whatever they needed to, to go get food and money and whatever it is. That's when they started getting that, what is going on here? Like, I'm, I can't fit in, I'm, I'm, I can't speak English, and they get the, very frustrated. After the one year sponsorship, they actually told me, I wish I never came to Canada. And I'm like, you came from a war-torn city. She goes, I would have still been happier back home. That's what they told me. And I was in shock. I said, you ran away from war. Your village doesn't even exist anymore. She goes, but we had a better life. I said, okay, maybe you're still in shock. So what they are now doing is they moved from Toronto to Kitchener because they just wanted to be away from the city. They want to experience it. But they're on the plan right now to go back. And it's only been a year. So, wow. It's, it's, so it's like, it's, it's exactly the same. So yeah, they had the honeymoon phase at the beginning. Then they started the rejection phase. They started rejecting things. And right now, it seems that they are in the regression phase. Yeah. They imagine that everything there is, is beautiful and everything here is, is terrible. And here comes a very important question, which is about psychological projection, where um, I always think that the problem is the other. It's not me. Um, I blame the Canadians are. The system is. Uh, I'm not lacking anything. It's always the system. It's always the Canadians. T to what extent do you think that um, immigrants might be subject to this? Like you talked before about the Kruger effect where I overestimate myself and this, um, you know, like it's actually I'm shooting myself in the foot really when I overestimate myself. I just become so stagnant and unable to move forward. 
But here again, when I project all my problems and throw them on Canada and the system, to what extent can this sort of be a hurdle or an impediment for me to go forward? From what I have seen is not the refugees, actually, that they are going through the cycle. It's the skilled workers. Um, I have seen a lot of people that come in in my clinic and he's a doctor. He's like, I can't work because all these degrees they want and they want me to go back to school for another 10 years and this and this and this and this and the Canadian system has so many checklists it's, it's all forms it's all forms it's all policies it's all licenses and again they blame the Canadian government when I said to him well you've been here four years and all you've been doing is complaining I, I don't say that to them but I let them find their own answer I said so what have you been doing the last four years besides complaining have you done anything no I said but you know what if you have done something you could have actually got some kind of degree. So yes, I do know there is a lot of restrictions um, in Canada, but it's also policy, it's regulation, because you also want to make sure you are doing it the proper way. I do agree there are some limitations there, but you have to go with the flow. You're in Canada, you got to follow the, the rule of the land, um, unfortunately. Um, if I travel somewhere, that's a culture, I have to assimilate in that culture as well. The one thing I don't know if that would be like something we will discuss later, is that what they can do before they arrive here, because that can save them a lot. So um, you're, you're saying that, um, you know, like um, a lot of people, unfortunately, always think that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. So um, whenever I'm in my country of origin, I'm looking for a better life in Canada or in any other country because I'm um, like a skilled worker, I'm looking for a better life or I'm, um, you know, a refugee, I'm looking for asylum, I'm looking for a safer life, I always imagine that there is heaven on earth on the other side. And there is, of course, no heaven on earth and no utopia. Um, but when I come to this place, which is definitely better, it's not ideal, no place is ideal, but definitely it's much better, I start imagining that the place that I left before, my country of origin, now becomes heaven on earth. And um, I'm always in this paradox, in this dilemma, and I'm never happy. Now, um, a very important and a very common problem is spousal problems. Problems that arise between spouses and because of the difference in, you know, their ability to achieve and accomplish things. So, um, you know, you would find a husband and wife coming here and they both start studying English from level one, for instance. But two years later, the wife has graduated from the language school and she joined a university while the husband is still struggling in level one. So, um, and then we see a lot of divorces that happen among immigrants and, and refugees. Can you shed some light on this point? I, that's a very touchy matter and a very important one. Yeah, actually, that's a good question. From what I have seen is that divorce was going to happen whether they came to Canada or not, because the root of the relationship was not solid. Um, maybe they didn't have a chance to go through hardship in their home country. Maybe they've been newlyweds. Maybe they've had the cultural pressure that it's not allowed to be divorced or maybe the families interfere. It depends if they came from a society where you know everybody is in one team. 
Then they come here. The husband and wife are by themselves, no family to support the husband or the wife. Hardship hits in, reality hits in. This is real marriage. If they wanted to divorce, they will divorce. It actually either gets them stronger together or actually separates them. Because it doesn't matter if you came to Canada or not. Maybe you stayed in your country 20 years from now, you're still gonna get a divorce. It has nothing to do with immigration. It's just how you handle the stress. Marriage is marriage, the long term. Some people get divorced as soon as they land because <laughs> the wife wanted to divorce him and she just landed. She's like, okay, I'm done. Some people just, I've seen that. Uh, another thing would be a husband from here that's very common that they end up going back home to marry a girl from back home and they bring her here. Culture shock for her or she meets other people here that they're like, oh, you know, you have the right to divorce him. You don't need him to divorce you. She becomes Canadian. She sees her rights as a woman. She understands her rights. Then she's like gone. Um, so it depends the motivation. It depends, did they have solid relationship? Is there love? It has nothing to do with immigration. Immigration is just one factor that may have hit them hard. My parents had it hard, you know, they've been married, they came here, but actually they became more closer to each other and they've been happily married and they're still in love. It wasn't immigration, it was love that kept them. Basically you're just saying that their marriage before did not stand the test of time and was not tested enough to see how strong of a bond do they have together. So once they come here, they are just tested. And unfortunately, the bond is a very weak bond. So it just breaks. So um, it's not because of immigration. It's because of the test. They did not have a strong enough bond. And like you said, if they really love each other, the bond will become stronger because they'll resort to each other. And, you know, they'll, they'll be each other's, you know, asylum and backbone. And they'll support one another. Uh, Odis, last but never least, actually, is, um, you know, you said that no matter what immigrants do as homework before they come here, they'll still be subject to the shock. But, um, and coming immigration anyways is a risk. But uh, my question to you is, how can we make this risk a calculated risk as much as possible to minimize the pressure and to minimize the losses uh, before coming to the new country and after landing, after arriving, whether you're an immigrant or you're a refugee, what things can you do before and after you come that might reduce this stress? Uh, not, not, you know, not to uh, completely eradicate it, not completely, you know, like end it, which is, I think is impossible for any human being, but to minimize it. What I personally think what Canada should do is instead of starting before starting the immigration process, maybe in the home country have a center where it's not an embassy, but actually a training center for people. Let's say you're a doctor and you want to come to Canada. You have three years to prepare because it takes time to apply. In that three years, in the center, maybe you start learning about the Canadian education. Maybe you can get into a Canadian college online or start your process before you arrive. In that three years, maybe you gain your degree. You get to have a cultural experience in the center. We don't have that. I never had that when I was in Kuwait before I came here. We just came and we had to do it from scratch. So having this facility available for them outside will be good because Canada right now is open for immigration. They need to put that in with their policy. 
when they arrive, we should really, honestly, I believe there's a big distinct between mental health and immigration. That's and uh, just, just before you continue, please, uh, here's a very important uh, follow-up question. So um, you said like if there's sort of an orientation center that would sort of, um, you know, like point them to the right direction, prepare them uh, to come to Canada, uh, this might really help, which is not something that's available right now. Um, how about the language? How important is the language as um, a catalyst to expedite the blending in process? Is it, is it a factor at all? And if it is, is it an extremely important one? So should they make sure that the immigrant is sort of not fully competent, but like, um, I wouldn't say that they have to be like very articulate with the language and very competent, but at least they know the basics before coming. You know that they don't, they do that with college students when they apply to come to Canada for, um, you know, a student visa. They do the test over there before they arrive here. And there's agencies that do the testing and they do that. They don't have that in immigration. The, you do the test before you swear on and get your immigration, your, your PR. So for the refugees that came in, as soon as they landed, they had to go to school and learn English. But that's a refugee, they ran away. But for immigrants who are applying to come to Canada, that center, maybe they have an education or center, not just an orientation. It could be a college that maybe like York University opens up a, a chapter or um, a center in India or Japan, whatever it is. And they will offer their courses online or they have teachers over there who will give you a Canadian degree that you can get while you're waiting for your immigration paper. Absolutely, because uh, a very um, wrong misconception some people have and uh, many students who come to uh, language schools here in Canada, for instance, they thought just before coming to Canada, until they came to Canada, that they are very fluent and they have no problem with the language. They even took tests like the IELTS exam, the Interna International English Language Testing System, and they got a high score, but they still suffer because there is a huge difference between classic and um, you know, like textual or like academic English versus day-to-day -day slang, idioms, um, you know, things that people say, because again, there are specific sayings that are connected to a specific culture. So no matter how competent you are, there are still many things you're missing. And, um, you know, um, immigrants before coming to Canada, right now, according to the express entry, they, they ask them for a very high score in the IELTS exam. So when they come, they must be very competent. Even before, they only accepted no less than, um, you know, like intermediate level of English. But again, this is academic English and not day-to-day -day language, which makes a very big difference. I agree with you here because... I'm going to talk to you not as a clinical hypnotist, but what I've seen in my college. I, all my students are international students. I work only with international students. And I know there's shortcuts with that exams that they do overseas for their agents. It's not monitored. We don't monitor. The college I teach, we don't monitor. It's agents. And I have seen them arrive, and their scores are amazing. And I talk to the student, and they're actually using an app to translate for me. I'm like, how did you pass that? But I don't say anything. So we start to kind of 
teacher will point out the students who need English. We're not going to kick them out, but we will offer you know free English classes for them to help them transition into the Canadian college system. And some, their English is perfect. If they're coming from an education system that uses British education, their English is actually way better than us. It's not everybody needs the English, but I'm thinking the assessment centers and the training should start before the immigration. Can you believe how much stress will be taken off their shoulders? How much faster they will be integrated in the Canadian skill um, or jobs. As soon as they land, they got jobs because they have Canadian experience, maybe Canadian education, maybe they get to train somewhere there, work with a Canadian company. That's one part. One thing we haven't done is we haven't focused on tying in mental health with immigration. When you arrive, it's not like a hospital where we have triage and emergency. They just come in, okay, here's your paper. Thank you very much. Oh, by the way, we do have cultural centers. We have community centers that you can visit, but you're on your own. It's not mandatory. They haven't done the checks to see how much is this person's struggle is suffering? How much depression? Do they have trauma? They make it mandatory like a triage. Okay, you need to go for a psychological evaluation. We need to treat you. We need to help you. After that, then, okay, next up, well, let's get you in and get you accommodated and let's get you going with the Canadian system help you with the communities and the agencies. It's not mandatory, it's on volunteer basis. And you know, Muhammad, you know in our culture, if you're sick mentally, you're too, our culture is like, you don't talk about it. It's like a, a stigma with it. So if a family is struggling and they're suffering, they're not gonna go and talk to psychiatrists. They don't have that in our culture. They just keep quiet and that makes it worse. It should be mandatory when somebody comes in, they go through this check so we can help them because especially refugees who ran away and they having PTSD, that should be provided to them as soon as they land. We don't have that. We don't have that. It's not mandatory. So to recap what you said, you say that before coming here, they should have some kind of orientation, some kind of yeah. advice with regards to language, with regards to certification, and um, maybe psychological testing. But after they land, they must be psychologically assessed. This is very important to avoid um, you know, them suffering from any trauma or any kind of disorders. This is very important. Um, you know, at the beginning of the discussion, you talked about two extremes, two ends of the spectrum. So some people who are like, um, you know, just stick to their um, ethnic silo, ethnic bubble. They never leave it. They're fully immersed in it. And there is a big price for this. They must give in and they must always be very submissive to this group and they would never blend in. Others just go out of bounds and they completely, completely, you know, uh, forsake and they completely, you know, um, desert their origin and they become 100% merged in the new culture. And both are extremes and both suffer from a lot of trauma. Uh, again, people who have an overinflated ego, I'm so overqualified, they suffer um, tremendously. Those people suffer tremendously again. Other people who project things on the culture and not on themselves. Um, what advice would you give to anyone who's listening to us right now who has landed, recently landed in Canada? What kind of prescription, if you like, you can give to them? What kind of a roadmap? Would you draw for them, like steps one, two, three, and four, 
do's and don'ts? Um, you know what? I will give you the same advice that I give everybody who walks into my clinic. Getting mental um, help and support, it's, it's available everywhere, but nobody can push you. You have to want to change. Here's number one. And even psychiatrists that I work with, doctors will tell you they can never treat you if you don't want to change. Nothing will happen if you don't want to change. If you're too immersed in your depression and you don't want to be helped, nothing will help you. So you have to learn to accept that it's okay to talk to people. It's okay to come and talk to someone. If you don't have money, it's okay. There's a lot of free agencies there that they have psychiatrists, psychologists. I work for, I volunteer. I do a lot of stuff for free. Talk to me, come call me, text me. Because it's serious if you don't treat it right. It's serious if you keep quiet. It's Canada is so, and the resources in Canada are huge and available. And what stops people from healing is them. Nothing from the outside. All they have to do is pick up the phone, text, call, walk into a police station, say, I'm having suicidal thoughts. They're not going to arrest you. They're not going to do anything. They will call a psychiatrist, talks to you. Go to the hospital, go to a walking clinic and say, I'm having suicidal thoughts. I'm feeling depressed. No problem. In the hospital, they will treat you. It's free. Just and, do it. And, and if you're subject to spousal abuse, maybe again, you should resort to, um, you know, there, there are many help centers for this. But it's hard. Uh, most of the spousal abuse, the spouses don't come out and talk about it. It's the fear. It's the fear. It's, that's another story itself. Like, it takes a lot of courage for the spouse to come out because the fear, it's just huge. And fear is the worst emotion and the strongest emotion a human being can have is fear. And just fear. I, I cannot explain that. I've seen it. It's just traumatic for them. And no matter what, they, they, they can lose so much for them. Um, so I hope they can listen. I hope somebody's watching this, that there are available resources for them, but I do know their concerns are completely different than people who are having mental issues because there is not just mental issue. It's, it's other stuff as well. So your advice is basically have to spread your wings and, yeah. and, um, like, you know, open your eyes really and, uh, be ready for change. Because if you're not, no one can, it can never be induced. It can never be imposed on you. You know, um, you must take the initiative. The initiative should come from you. You should just extend your hand and then there are many, many other helping hands who would, you know, pull you out of, you know, the ditch. But if you're in the ditch and you don't ask for help, you don't extend your hand, no one will come and help you. Um, Odis Nasser, really, I cannot thank you enough, seriously, for all the very, you know, uh, great information that you gave to us tonight. I think it's, it's been um, not only a real pleasure for me to have you definitely in the program, but I think for all the audience. I really, really appreciate your advice and um, looking forward to seeing you again on our program. Thank you very much. And, um, you know, I really hope that people can benefit from your advice and people would, you know, really ask for help when they need it. Asking for help is never, everyone remember, asking for help is not a shame, is not a shame. Your mental and psychological health are equally as important as your physical health. Every year you go and check up at least once or twice 
you make a complete checkup for your body. But how about your mind, your soul? You know, and no matter how healthy your body is, if you have a problem with your mind and soul, they will tremendously affect your, bo your body and you'll be hurt tremendously physically. So really reach out. It's not a shame. Canada is a free country. It's an all-encompassing country. And there is a lot of help, but help cannot be delivered. You need to do a little effort, need to exert some effort, and go there to find help for you and for others. Um, thank you very much, dear viewers, for uh, joining us tonight. Until we meet again, have a good night. Take care.